Thanks, Ali. Great to have that reading before us. Uh, can I remind you, as we're about to start, that we've got question and answer time afterwards? Do you remember that? So if you get a question on the way through, I'd love for you to be able to jot it down so that we can uh, engage with that uh, in our question time. How about I pray and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for this time uh, where we can look at your word. Uh, we pray, Father, that you might help us to be alert. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us. And we pray that tonight, Father, we might be energised to be part of your mission. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I want to start tonight by asking you how you like to think of God. So if you were to finish this sentence, I like to think of God as, what would you say? I like to think of God as, how would you describe him? Sorry? All powerful. Excellent. Someone else. I like to think of God as loving father. Excellent. My saviour. Healer. Absolutely. I like to think of God as, what do you got, boys? Not sure? That's all right. A big cuddly teddy bear. Fantastic. Um, I, I, Shane, sorry? A friend. Great, Dickie. I remember uh, when I was young, I used to think of God, and I, I said this morning, I can't remember where I got this picture from, but seriously, old grandpa guy with beard sitting on a big seat. That's just what I thought of God. I'm sure it didn't come from a book. I, I really can't think there's any book I saw that had that picture in it. But that's what I thought. God was a big old guy in a seat. It's not a very inspiring vision of God, incidentally. <laughs> the problem with the God who's in our head, I like to think of God as, is that he's not real. The God who really is, is the God who reveals himself. So what we want to see tonight is what is God like? What does God like? And what can I do that God likes? Is that all right? What is God like? What does God like? What can I do that God likes? So we're going to explore uh, the God who makes himself known, except I've got up there how God makes him. Hmm. Let's explore God's how God makes Anyway, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to figure out the God who makes himself known after a conversation with Moses. And we're going to see how it fits in with the history of Israel. And I'm going to do that by reminding you in our timeline here, what we've already seen in our series. So first of all, we're over here in our timeline. We saw that God's mission has a destination, that God wants to be in right relationship with us and that he wants us to be in right relationship with one another and with the created order. We've seen that the mission has a need because the world is messed up by sin. Jeff reminded us that there's a danger of sin left unchecked when he spoke to us about the Tower of Babel and last week, I spoke about the scope of God's mission, which includes all the nations uh, through Abraham. So this week, we're going to be reminded that God's mission will be specific, that God will speak to a particular people, the people of Israel, and that he also has a global focus that will include the Gentiles as well. So let's start by me playing a game. If you were here this morning, you've already seen this, but I want to ask, does anyone know what this is? It's an old toaster. Kathy, outstanding. Uh, has anyone not... Sorry? You're old enough to recognise it. I, I got in trouble this morning because I said my grandparents used to have one. And everyone looked at me and said, oh, that's not very nice because we remember it. Anyway, um, this toaster works. Anyone know how it works? What do you have to do to toast something? That's right. Okay. And for those who don't know, here's your education for tonight, kids. 
Um, here's what uh, it looks like when you get one of these toasters. You have to open the side up, put the bread in, and put it up. And amazingly, you then have to do what, guys? Turn the toaster over and toast the other side. Uh, now, I think this is a magnificent toaster. Right up until I thought about the safety implications of this toaster as an adult, and I just went, have mercy. Because what happens, guys, in here, these are the elements that heat your toast, and they are just literally bare electrical wires heating up in the middle of a metallic toaster. And so you pull the sides down and expose the bare wires as you pluck the toast out. I, I really didn't understand quite how death-defying the whole toast-making incident had become uh, in my life. And so there really is a danger of electrocuting yourself. And what do they always say? Don't stick a knife in the toaster. Well, in this case, it's practically set up to kill you. Uh, it's almost like it's designed to do that and not cook toast. So very dangerous. Don't stick a knife uh, in your toaster. I want you to have a look with me at uh, Exodus 19, and I want us to see something else that's dangerous for us. The toast is good, it cooks bread, uh, but it's, it's dangerous too. Have a look with me at Exodus 19, and then we're going to see uh, how God is actually quite dangerous here. The Lord God said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today. That means basically set them apart for my purpose. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now that's pretty cool. God's going to come and meet with his people. What does he say? Verse 12. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows not a hand is to be laid on them. No personal animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds after a long blast may they approach the mountain. It is a terrifying thing to meet with God. Now, before you come up with the conclusion, hey, God wants to see people stoned and shot with arrows, that was pretty noteworthy, wasn't it? No, what did he say to put around the mountain? Sorry? A fence. So God doesn't want anyone to die. He says, actually, put the fence around the mountain. But if anyone is foolish enough to stumble into God's presence, you're to kill them because it is a terrible thing for sinful people to come into the presence of God. And so we see God is holy. He is holy. He's utterly other than people. And a holy God is dangerous to sinful people. A holy God is dangerous to sinful people. I think this is the sign that you could put up on the toaster and maybe on God as well. It's pretty cool. Danger of death, keep out. I, I love the lightning bolt going through the middle of the... I don't really love it, but you get the idea. Don't do it. God is dangerous. Don't take him for granted. He is a holy God who is dangerous for sinful people. Now, that would be a scary picture of God if that was the only picture we had, but we actually see there's some great things about God too. Have a look with me at verses 3 to 4. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, how many people know the story of God saving Israel? You boys do. I'm sure you do. How does God save Israel from Egypt?
excellent. God says to Pharaoh, sends Moses to say to Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. Anyone? Nobody's with me on that. I see that hand. All right, good. There is a song for that, and you can ask me later, and I'll perform it. Um, Pharaoh let my people go, and Pharaoh said, no way. And then God sent the plagues, and eventually he said, yes way. And then after they were leaving, they got to the Red Sea and, sorry? He tried to get them back. That's exactly right, Ryle. He tried to get them back, but they were trapped by the Red Sea, and then his army was coming to take them. And what happened? Charlie doesn't know, but that's okay. Owen? God parted the sea. God parted the sea, and God's people walked through on dry land. It is the absolute Old Testament story for the ages of God's salvation. So he parts the sea. They walk through on dry land. Pharaoh's army is following, and closes back over the top of them. And there they are. God delivers his people, destroys the army, and they land safe on the other side. No longer slaves. Army destroyed on the other side. See you later, Egypt. God has saved them. Did he carry them on eagles' wings? No, that's kind of like a metaphor for how he saved them, right? He saved them like an eagle. It's not like um, the end of uh, Lord of the Rings. Is that what you're all thinking of? Uh, Where they are saved by eagles. Uh, But no, this this is a way of speaking about God's gracious salvation. So what do we want to know? Here's what we want to know. God is merciful and gracious. God is merciful and gracious. He's our merciful and gracious saviour. And he chooses and he rescues. Uh, the God who is dangerous to sinners is incredibly the God who saves sinners. And so God is gracious and merciful. I love this sign. Attention, life ring boy, please do not use life ring as a pull toy. I think knowing the good news of Jesus, it's very easy to misuse our salvation, misuse the good news and abuse it. Don't use it like a pull toy. We need to respect and honour it. Now, I love this picture. Has anyone seen this, this optical illusion thingy before? I love it. Drop the, drop the ring, light from behind, in the pages, it turns into a little love heart. Isn't that great? Um, what do you think that they're celebrating? Anyone? Marriage, okay. Marriage is our covenant that we know best. It's the one where we make a commitment to one another. That's, that's a covenant. And God says, I marry you, Israel. And God... The third thing that we want to know about God, God is a God who loves promises. God makes promises. He's the faithful and committed one, and he will keep them. Have a look at what it says here in verses 3 to 5. Moses went to God and up to the mountain. He said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So here's the thing. God made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to his son, Jacob. And God will keep his promises to Israel. And so we need to know that the God who is holy and awesome, the God who is a saviour, is the God who makes promises and is faithful and committed. How beautiful. Well, that's something about the God who is there. That's three things about the God who's there. What does God's character and action demand from us? Well, I love this picture. Can anyone see what it is? Sheep, can you see who is at the front? Have a look here. Can you see who that is? Who's that? Yeah, you don't know him by name. Yes, it's 
William or Brian or Brian, yes. Uh, no, this is Shepherd, and uh, he is leading the sheep through, through the gap. And the sheep are following because they know his voice. The important thing that we need to know about our response to God is here in verses 4 to 7. You've seen what I did and how I saved you, verse 5. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my precious people. And then in verse 7, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. Why don't we read it together? What do they respond in verse 8? We will do... That's great. That's convincing and powerful and unified. They said, we will do everything that the Lord has said. And so here's the thing. The first, our first response to who God is, is to be obedient, to be listening to and obeying God's word. We are called to be obedient in response to the God who is there. And as I pointed out this morning, it's almost impossible to be obedient if you don't know what your master is saying. And so we can't be obedient without knowing the master's voice. And so if we're called to be obedient to God, we have to be people of his word. Otherwise, how can we please him? So we're called to be obedient. Okay, kids, you can help me out because the adults can figure out what job is this? Declan? An animal security person. I love that. That's great. Uh, yep, they have another name, but that's good. Ranger. They're a ranger. And um, I think the ranger's job is awesome uh, because their job is to get to know the environment that they're a part of. Their job is to protect it and care for it. Their job in the end is to be an advocate for it. And so if you meet someone who's a ranger, they know everything about it. And the best thing about meeting a ranger is they can tell you what you're seeing around you. They can tell you what kind of soil's there, what sort of trees grow there, what sort of animals are there. A ranger who loves the park would love to tell you about the park. Okay? They're there for the protection of the park. They're there for you that you might fall in love with the park. All right. Here's what it says. Uh, for Israel to be, we're going over and over these verses because there's so much in them. Have a look in verses 5 to 6. If you obey me and fully keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, this is incredible, verse 6, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We're to be priests. That's one of our responses to the God who is there. We're to be priests distinctive ambassadors in love with our God. And so the idea is that we know and love our God and we want to introduce other people to him. It's interesting to see that the job of priests is before God and on behalf of others. Let me see what I... I'm actually called a priest in the Anglican church. Don't let anyone know. But that's true, I'm called a priest. Here's the thing about a priest. Priest is only doing their job if they're ministering before God, right? So if I'm not before God, I'm not very much of a priest, okay? But here am I, I'm with God, right? Say I'm hanging out with God, I'm actually not very much of a priest yet. Because if I don't draw you into relationship with God, I'm not doing my job well. Conversely, if I'm really hung up on spending time with you guys, but I ignore God, I'm not a very good priest. Because I'm not leading you anywhere other than to me. And that's a pretty dangerous thing, if I can say. So here's the thing. The job of the priest is to be before, the pe- before God and before the people and to draw you into relationship 
with God. So I like the park ranger kind of analogy. It's not too, too far off the mark. But here's the thing. Israel is to be a kingdom of priests. So who's their audience? We know half of it. The half is God. But who are the people that they're supposed to be bearing witness to? Anyone got any thoughts? The rest of the world. So when God says you are to be a holy nation, it's not just that we're to be all wrapped up in ourselves, God says. No, no, you're to be a kingdom of priests before the world. Before the whole world. Well, how will they do that? How will they be a kingdom of priests? I said it had something to do with diet. Now, we know that the Jewish people have dietary laws. Does anyone know any dietary laws of the Jews? Anyone? Don't eat pork. Okay, that's the most famous one. What else can't you eat? Milk and meat together. The other one is prawns. Can't have shellfish. There's a whole variety of different things. So I'm going to say to you, you can be of use to God by eating your beans. Okay? No, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you there are three points about being set aside for God. And I told them to my youth group kids years ago, and they've never forgotten this can of baked beans. Who makes the baked beans, kids? SPC. I'm going to tell you tonight, tell you this once, here's three things about holiness that are to do with a can of baked beans. Here we go. You ready? You are to be a holy nation. You are to be separate. You are to be pure. And you are to be changed. Separate. Pure. Changed. SPC. Those three things. If we are to be a holy nation, we are to be filled up full of beans. Full of beans. Full of beans for Jesus. Separate, that is, set aside for God's purpose. Okay? You must be marked out as distinct for God's purpose. You must be pure. That is, you're not to be corrupted by the world. So separate, pure, and changed. You can't be like you were before you come into God's service. God must change you from what you were. So... What do we need to do to be a holy nation? Get some beans into you. Separate, pure, changed. Outstanding. You'll remember that. And I had this morning someone say, I love baked beans. I absolutely love them. If you tell me to eat beans for Jesus, I'm there, he was saying. And um, Jackie, who was standing next to him, who comes at night, she said, I hate beans. I was following the analogy right up until you got to baked beans. And she said, I couldn't stand it. So if you ask him to be holy by eating baked beans, she said, I can't do it. I said, what if I put a can of peaches up? She said, that would be a really good change for the night. So those of you, those of you who can't stand beans, get into some brilliant peaches, okay, for Jesus. Is that all right? We're all good. Fantastic. It's, it's, worth, it's worth saying a holy nation will only be useful to God insofar as it's noticeably different to the nations around, right? So if you're, you're my holy nation, remember it was going to be specific, and then go to the whole world. God says, I'm going to choose you, Israel, and you're to live in such a way as a kingdom of priests that the whole world sees God differently. The only way that's going to happen is if they look different to the whole rest of the world. So we are called to be different to the world around us. All right, this is the biggest revelation that you're going to receive tonight. Are you ready? Chapter 19 comes before chapter 20. Mic drop, I'm walking off. Chapter 19 comes before chapter 20. 
I'm going to tell you tonight, this is the most important point. So if you've forgotten everything else I say afterwards, including the baked beans, you won't forget the baked beans. Though. But if you forget all of that, here's what I want you to know. Chapter 19 comes before chapter 20. And you go, why does that matter? Here's why. Because chapter 19 tells us that God rescued his people. And chapter 20 tells us that God regulates the people he's saved. We get the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, but God saves them in chapter 19. Can you see how important this is? We don't get saved by obeying the law. We get saved and then God gives a law to his holy people. It's how they're to be separate, pure and changed. Chapter 19 comes before chapter 20. So do we know the Ten Commandments? Charlie, do you? You look like you were getting really excited about that button. I was going to go, great, Charlie, rip them out. What can we do? Now, when, when I meet people, I say, um, I say to people, imagine, well, if I'm in one of those kind of gospel conversations, I say to people, hey, if you were to meet God and he was to say to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? Okay. And a lot of people say, because I'm a good person. And I say, how do you know you're good? And they go, I obey the Ten Commandments. And then I say... What are the Ten Commandments? And we have a wonderful moment where people kind of go, I don't know. And then they try and remember them. And what's the first one they can remember? Someone tell me. Do not murder is the one that, we'll get to that one. Hold hold your horses, Ian. They almost inevitably say, do not murder. And I say, great, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a game. You'll remember the Ten Commandments and I'll put up a scorecard, okay? I'll put your good points on this side. Everyone, good points, yes? I'll put your bad points on this side. So if you fail at one of these commandments, I'll put a bad point over here. So where do we start off with? Do not murder. And I go, which side does that go? Bing. Okay, great. One, one point over here. Fantastic. What's the next one? Do not murder. Oh, well, unfortunately, I don't have that one next. Do not commit adultery. And I just go, look, it'll be a bit awkward, so let me put another point over here. Is that all right? Two good points so far. You're doing well. Okay? All right. And, uh, and then we go to do not steal. And I go to people, where do we put that point? Guys, where do we put the point? Thank you, Charlie. You're right. It goes on this side over here. 2-1. Well, I haven't met anyone who can say, honestly, hand on heart, you've never stolen anything. In fact, come and have a chat with me afterwards if that's you. But I reckon we've, we've, we've misappropriated some things, perhaps. And in fact, the way that uh, my pen supply at the back goes down, I can tell you lots of you have stolen a lot of things, Okay. <laughs> So, all right, okay. Here's the, here's the really amazing thing, though. On the, we're 2-1 so far, right? Here's the amazing thing, though. Jesus says that if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. Boom, boom. He says if you looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Boom, boom. Now, let's get on a little bit further. If you didn't have a point for do not steal, now you've got one for do not give false testimony because you just lied. Very good. Now I've got four and, oh, all right. Uh, what's the next one? If we're going down this list, what's the last of the uh, Ten Commandments? Anyone remember what it is? Covet. The word that we never hear outside the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? Have you ever had a, com- a conversation with anyone who's brought up the word covet outside of a discussion of the Ten Commandments? No. Okay, very good. Well, let's put it up. This one is a killer. Uh, it's a killer. Yeah, very good. Uh, is do not covet your neighbours. That's in other words, don't want for yourself what is your neighbours. Which way, where does this one go? Okay, that's five. All right. I'm promising you, so far we're not doing very well, are we? You pick the, 
We're Norton Five. All right. Uh, can anyone remember the one that we've forgotten? That's the fifth commandment. It's the one that everyone's going to forget. Here it is. It comes up here. Honor your father and mother. Oh, I'm just going to look at you, and you're all going to point in the direction this one goes. Oh, I can't believe that Cox family. It's going to go on this side over here. Okay, so it's it's what's the score so far, guys? Six and nil. Okay, and then I'm just going to save you the embarrassment because the next four are about putting God first in your life and having him as your highest priority. Have no other gods before me. Make no idols. Do not misuse the name of the Lord and keep the Sabbath day holy. And I'm going to tell you right now that unless you're a very exceptional human, I am and are you with me? Thank you, Ian. <laughs> Ten and oh. All right, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They say, I'm a good person. They pick the standard. They don't know the standard. And when we show them the standard, you and I and they are naught and ten. Are we going to be good enough for God? The answer is, no, we're not. Here's an amazing thing about the way that they're organized. Into two categories, I think. First four are about being, having one God, which is called monotheism. And the rest are about living a holy life. How will Israel be distinct from the nations around it? Well, it will only have one God, unlike Egypt, unlike Babylon, unlike Rome, unlike Canaan, unlike Greece, unlike everyone else. The idea of having one God is unique and distinct, and they will live a holy life in a way that is utterly unlike the nations around them. That's how they're disposed to bear a witness. They will be distinctively what? You guys are nailing it. This is fantastic. So how do we do what God likes? How do we do what God likes? If you're listening purely to what Judaism or Islam would say, you would say we're working at pleasing God by trying to do things to make him happy. We are working at pleasing God. For Christians, we say we're saved by Jesus' work. We agree we are 10 and 0. We cannot ever do enough to earn God's favor. We've totally crashed and burned, right? We're out. So we don't say that we're going to be good enough for God. We say, Jesus will pay the price for my sin. So we're saved by Jesus' work, but we're doing works, good works of thankful obedience. So we do good work, but we don't do it to earn God's favor. We do it in response to his salvation. That's quite different. So here's Judaism. And uh, we had the Ten Commandments. They added, uh, God added to that, apparently, 613 rules. It's pretty good, isn't it? Um, I put 613 dots up there. You can count them if you would like to, but trust me, there are a lot up there. 613 laws. How do you reckon we'd go? We, did, we just picked 10. How do you think we'd go at faultlessly obeying 613? Anyone think they'd go any good? I think, I, I, I did this especially for tonight, I think it would fall into the category of, look up there, epic fail. Epic fail. God's holy standard, us sinful people, it would be an epic fail. We'd just mess it up. Then someone comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? How many were there, kids? It was a pretty funky number, 613. And which is the most important one, someone asked Jesus. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's Jesus' genius? He simplifies it, doesn't he? Love God, love your neighbor. Here's what it looks like in practice, I think. There's all the laws up there. And what does Jesus do? 
Well, he condenses it all down to just two. And here's the amazing thing. I think the laws that Jesus give us match the one that was before. You're going to have one God, love him with all your heart, and you want to live a holy life by loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up all the law and the prophets and gave us this. But here's the incredible thing. Even this is not a path to salvation. So you can't say, hey, what's Jesus' law? Jesus' law is better than the Jewish law, so I'm going to obey Jesus' law, and that's how I'm going to get saved. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Anyone doing that? Impossible. Anyone flawlessly loving their neighbor as themselves? So here's the thing. Even Jesus' law is not the path to salvation, but the path of the saved. You see the difference here? It's not the path to salvation. It's not how we're saved, but it's the path of the saved. So if you're saved, you want to live as part of God's holy nation. And so you will live distinctively separate, pure, and changed. Okay, very good. Great. Fantastic. So how does it flow? Well, have a look with me. We're going to have a quick look in 1 Peter. So come to the back of the Bible. I think it was on page 1220 or something. Uh, If you find it, 1 Peter chapter 3. I just want to show you what this looks like in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Has anyone got the page number? 1120. 1 Peter. I want you to see how it flows. Have a listen to this. He's writing to a church and he says, To God's elect, in verse 1, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. First thing is they're saved, and then have a look what they do in verses 14 to 16 of chapter 1. As obedient children, listen to how close this is, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What do we start with? We start with grace. God saved them. We start with grace. But grace naturally leads to holy living. It naturally leads to godliness. Have a look at chapter 2 and verses 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people. Listen to this. This is Peter writing to the church, right? Not Israel. Okay, have a listen to how close this is to that. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, yeah? A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Isn't that incredible? See, here's the thing. Once you were not a people, but God says if you're saved by Jesus, tonight we have become a nation. A nation. We are to be marked out by being holy and separate and pure and changed. Isn't that incredible? So grace leads to godly living. And godliness leads to gracious answers. Just have a look at this in verse uh, verse 13 of of chapter 3. 
Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with two words. Look at these. Do this with what? Gentleness and and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of your slander. See, here's the thing. We are called to be a people who are saved by grace. We're called to godly living and gracious answers. Gracious answers. As you and I do the job of giving the message of new life, I want that to characterize us. Gracious answers. Let me apply it for you. First of all, we have to get grace, okay? What did I say? Chapter 19 comes before? Chapter 19 comes before chapter 20. You are saved by grace. You didn't deserve it, but God saved you. How brilliant is that? We're going to get grace, which means we have to give up this book. Love this book. Have a look at this title. How to Avoid Being a Very, Very Bad Person. Anyone read that book? Anyone know someone who should read that book? You can hand it over to them. Stop reading. You need to give up reading books like that. Self-help won't help because we're not doing a heart transplant when we're reading self-help books. Read self-help books. But here's the thing. Don't believe they'll save you. You can't ever be good enough. You'll never be good enough for God. So give up trying to be good enough and fall on his grace. Thirdly, we need to get real about God's holiness. Everyone got the visual? Don't go poking around with the toaster. It'll literally kill you. You can't pretend that Jesus is your homeboy. He's not. He's the holy God. Stop playing with God. You need to get real. And fourthly, I think mostly for our our, our church here tonight, for you and me, we need to get holy. We need to get holy. We need to get holy. We need to be a people who are so separate, pure, and changed that people notice. How will someone ask me to give a reason for the hope that I have if I have no hope, demonstrably? If no one sees me living any different to anyone around them, how will, it, how will I be an ambassador? How will I be a holy nation? We need to get serious about holiness. And so I want to tell you, eat your beans and get into the peaches, whatever you need to do. But ask God, God, have mercy. Forgive me. That's why we do our confession. Forgive me. Be at work by your Holy Spirit and change me. Help me to be holy for you. Here's where we started off. God's church, it has a mission. God's mission has a church, a gathering of people who will take his message out to the ends of the earth, who will be his holy nation. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. God said to Moses, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Though the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've called us from darkness to light, that you have saved those who are unworthy of being saved on our own. Father, that you've washed us, you've sprinkled us. I pray that you would help us to live holy and godly lives before the pagans. We ask this, Father, so that new life may come to every home for your glory. Amen.
All right. That's a message about Jesus and Christians and the law. Let me give you an opportunity to ask some questions. Has anyone got any questions arising from what we did tonight? Yeah, Adrian. Yeah, it's a funny thing. See, I think it makes sense when you're standing before Mount Sinai, right? We were uh, in desperate trouble. You saved us, God, and now you're forming us into a people. On Mount Sinai, he's about to give the Ten Commandments, and they're about to get them. So grace comes before law. But if you're born 40 years later into the nation of Israel that has the Ten Commandments, right? Um, You weren't saved. And now you have the Ten Commandments or, or the 613 other laws. And so I think you naturally grow up going, how does God want me to be pleased with him? Well, he's given me 613 laws, so I'm going to rip into them. And by doing them, I'm going to be pleasing to him. I think it just makes sense because the closeness of being saved drifts away. Do you see? And I'm born into a saved nation. Does that make sense? And so, the, the, so the, the, the feeling, I was saved by grace, just kind of gradually disappears. And you just go, of course we're saved. We're God's holy people. It was right of him to save us. He owed salvation to us. And so I'm just going to do the law thing because that's what I need to do. Does that make sense? So I think the further away you get away from the saving action, the more you just think that, well, clearly I just need to be a, a law-abiding citizen. Yeah, Nicole. Yeah, it's really interesting. From a stack of stuff, uh, obviously they would say through a revelation of the prophet Muhammad, but, uh, but yeah, it, it seems like they read their Old Testament and took it and there was some intervention, I would say spiritual intervention, that meant that they were guided on a path that took them away from God and to a very, uh, very unhappy place uh, where, again, performance becomes the means of justification how you're saved before God and amazingly they have no confidence you can't know for sure that you're going to be saved in Islam and so the reason you do terrible terrorist acts is because you're told you can know for sure what will happen if you die as a martyr otherwise you really are just dying and throwing yourself on the mercy of Allah and hoping he'll save you so you want to find some assurance it's not in Islam another question Excellent, mate. I reckon they broke, just broke them willy-nilly, just racked them up all the time. God, as part of the 613 laws, actually made provision for how they could be forgiven. And so what he said to them is, you can have your sins forgiven once a year on the Day of Atonement. Have you heard of the Day of Atonement? So what we do is we grab a sheep from your flock. We put your hands on top of the sheep, beautiful, pure sheep. We confess our sins over the sheep. So the sin is, is now being transferred to my sheep. And then we do something really horrible. Take a knife, slit its throat, blood everywhere. The sheep dies in your place. 
Does this make sense? And so God says, each year you'll need to come and do that again, 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 again. And so what happens is, first of all, you realize sin is a bloody mess. Sin is a bloody mess. And I am worn out with my failure to live in a way that's acceptable to God. And you know what it says something beautiful about Jesus in, uh, in Hebrews? It says that he has died, well, it actually says in, in 1 Peter as well, but it says basically he's died once for all to pay the price so that you don't have to keep going back and doing it again and again and again. Um, where is it? Just in here. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, it's talking about Jesus, when this priest had, taken, had offered, for, uh, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to make a footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Trash the temple. Tear it down. We don't need it anymore because Jesus, the Lamb of God, has paid the price one time for all. Make sense? Great. One more question, Bill. I actually don't know. It, is, it appears that the sacrificial, the, the two parts of Judaism, so the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Pharisees were much more into the book of the law, and the Sadducees were much more into um, the temple. Uh, when the temple got destroyed in AD 70, these guys more or less dropped out, because where, where do you do that? You can't do it anymore. And so it became far more a book, uh, a book-related religion. But past that point, I actually don't know how they deal with atonement. Someone can do a research assignment and find out for me. I don't know. don't know the answer. But it would seem a little bit obvious that they have a problem at that point, wouldn't it, Bill? So... Given that there are a lot of very smart people who are Jewish, I'm sure there's a good answer, but I don't know it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me call up Stumps there. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I might invite the band to come up as we fill in our Karen Connect cards. So can we get our Karen Connect cards up? That'd be great. Thank you for getting in the, in the habit of this questioning thing. We'll get good at it, guys. We will. We will. Um, if you can get out your Karen Connect cards, uh, if you've already written uh, your name and your email address on it, if you could let us know if there's something you'd like us to pray for over the course of this week, uh, we'd love to pray for you. If there's something that is coming up uh, that you want us to, um, to know about, you can do that there. Or alternatively, you might like to ask a question that you didn't feel you were able to ask in the, um, uh, in the, in the service right now. So when you're done with that, I'm going to hand over to these guys up here who will take us out with our final song.